I'm Abby Glassenberg, and this is Walshing Apps. On today's show, I'll be talking with Tara Swagger and Stacy Trock. Tara, Stacy, and I are interested in marketing for creative businesses, so we've chosen that as the theme for today's show. We'll be sharing some favorite tools, tips, and best practices for small businesses to use to get the word out about their products and to engage with their customers. Tara guides crafty businesses to explore their people, their mission, and their enthusiasm in order to create a sustainable and fun livelihood. She's the author of Market Yourself, which will help you craft a marketing plan you can stick with. She holds digital and in-person workshops for artists, makers, and writers, and leads a starship full of business explorers. Her newest online workshop, Pay Yourself, just opened for registration and will help you finally look at your real numbers, get clear on where your profit is, and how to improve it. Stacey Trock is my frequent guest on the show. She designs crochet patterns for adorable and huggable stuffed animals. Her pattern is easy to follow and take the mystery out of crochet. She's also a teacher on Craftsy and is the author of three books. You can find Stacey online at freshstitches.com. Tara, Stacey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, at the end of this week, we'll be following up on today's show with a blog hop. Each of us will have a post up on Friday, February 21st on this same theme. The hop will be called, Is Anybody Out There? And will be about how to get your readers and customers to engage with your products and with you. This topic is so rich, I think we'll just jump right in. So Tara, let's start with you. Um, you wanted to talk about Evernote. So I love Evernote for absolutely everything. Um, it- is a uh, kind of a way of saving your notes. And um, you can clip things from websites. You can write yourself notes. You can take pictures. It works on your computer, your iPad, your phone. Um, Across all your devices, it automatically syncs. And uh, it has a web version. So you can pull it up anywhere on any computer that you're on. And how I particularly like it for marketing is I keep my content calendar in there. I keep checklists so that I remember what to do with each um, blog post or um, launch of a new class that I'm doing. And you can also share notes. So I share notes with uh, the person who works with me as my assistant. So um, when we're working on a big project, we create a master checklist and then we each go through and check things off. Um, But it's just great for, I found it especially useful for remembering what I did in one launch that will work in the next. So I both create a checklist for the upcoming, you know, thing that I'm launching, but then I also put notes in there, like what worked, what didn't work, what people responded to, what got, you know, a lot of replies versus what got a lot of people purchasing. And um, that way, then I can go back and look at those notes again and again, and they're kind of all in the same place in a folder that makes sense and they're accessible from anywhere. Um, it, that's interesting. I was just talking with somebody else who was telling me that um, what she's doing this year is at the end of each month, she's not only doing kind of like a financial assessment of, you know, how much money did she make, which products sold well, et cetera, but also sort of taking more detailed notes about um, how she promoted each thing, what kind of blog posts she did, how frequent they were, um, and, you know, just sort of more detailed notes of what worked and what didn't work for that month that kind of fill in the background story behind the financial numbers. So yeah. maybe Evernote would be a good way to, to do that, not just like in a Word document, but in a way that was more accessible. Absolutely. And I mean, so you can use Evernote for, for everything. <laughs> I have... Um, I, I often work in a coffee shop, and so I consider the people who also work there on their own businesses my coworkers. <laughs> and so, 
they um, there's several people who use it for all different kinds of businesses, for sales jobs and um, uh, pastors, and it's just a great way of collecting both what you read online because you can um, get a it's called Evernote Clipper for your browser, and you can clip kind of what you're reading, and it will save a selection, the entire article, the entire web page. Um, so you can save that and read it later or, you know, just have it for research material. And then you can also save all of your own notes. Um, so when I write every day, I save whatever I wrote in Evernote in a, in a special folder so that I have access to it again. I can find it easily. And it's very searchable and you can use tags. And I just, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> do you, um, so do you compose blog posts and things like that? Like, is it a word processor as well? It is a little bit. Um, when I copy and paste it directly into uh, WordPress, there's sometimes some issues with uh, like line spacing. Um, but so it's it's not. I don't know if I would use it as a word processor. It's, like I use Google Docs if I'm going to write a um, a PDF for a class worksheet. I'll just go on and compose it in Google Docs. But I'll make all the notes about it in Evernote, and I keep my class notes in Evernote so that when I'm teaching a class, I can pull it up on my um, my iPad and have it in front of me because Evernote doesn't need to be connected to the internet for you to open all of your notes in it. So if you uh, don't have service or you're on an airplane or like I often teach in spaces that don't have any kind of Wi-Fi connection, as long as I I've synced up my Evernote on my iPad to the computer before I left the house. I can open my notes and have them all there for me to talk from. And um, I've tried to use a lot of other apps that require internet connectivity and have been really disappointed (laughs) when you're somewhere teaching in the middle of North Carolina in the mountains and you can't get even cell phone reception and so you can't access your notes. That's, That's a scary thing. So that's another reason I love Evernote. Super. Um, is it free? Do you know if Evernote is free? It is. It's absolutely free. Um, I pay for the, I think it's called the business edition because it lets me share more things for more people. And that's just $5 a month. But you have massive amounts of storage uh, for free. Okay. That's great. That's a great tip. Um, all right. So, Stacy, you wanted to talk about um, some plugins to make visitors take action. Yeah, so, and this is something I've actually been really slow to get on the boat for. So I've had a blog, I guess it's been five, you know, since 2008. It's been a while. Um, And I guess I never really thought about the issue of when people come to your site, what are they going to do with that information? So they, you know, I write this great blog post on how to crochet on the wrong side of the foundation chain. And I sort of assumed, oh, if people like it, they'll copy the URL and they'll put it, you know, in their Twitter app and they'll tweet it. And that's really not practical for a lot of people to do. Um, so just this year, I've gotten on the bandwagon of um, finding some plugins that actually make it easier for people to share the information and um, to take action. So there's two. And I think, you know, if you use a different I use WordPress. So if you use a different blogging platform, you might have to find ones of different names. But I think the concepts are there for any blogging platform. Um, one I use is called What Would Seth Golden Do? And what that and I know Tara has a very similar one on her blog. What that does is when someone visits your blog for the first time or maybe the first three times, it um, recognizes a new IP address and it puts up a special message just for the visitor. So it'll say like, hey, you're new here. Do you want to follow my blog? And you might have a link or um, do you want to subscribe to my newsletter or whatever you would like a person to do who's new. Um, 
And that's really great because it it's not there all the time. It's just the first couple of times someone visits. Um, you know, it welcomes a new person who's coming to your site off of Pinterest or Twitter or wherever in the world, you know, they find you from. Um, and it compels them to take a little bit of action. And the second one I use is Slick Social Share. And there's a bazillion different sharing ones, but they're basically basically just little icons at the top of your blog post that um, will allow you to just push a button and it'll tweet it or um, Facebook it or Pinterest it, pin it. Oh, geez, Pinterest isn't a verb, pin it. Um, <laughs> and um, that's really great because it's just giving people a reminder that you're happy for them to share this information, um, especially when Pinterest got started. I feel like in the crafting community, there was a lot of resistance from some people like, oh, I don't want people to pin my photos. You know, I don't want that being shared where it can get mistagged or whatnot. So putting up a tag that's, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm really happy for you to share this photo of me crocheting, like rock on, pin it to everything you have. Um, I think is just a good cue. Um, and I have it, I have it say how many people have pinned it. Um, so I'm starting to get some blog posts that are in the thousands or, you know, it's been shared on Facebook dozens of times. And I think there's also a, a aspect of, um, you know, it's like seeding the tip jar, you know, you put a dollar in because if you've seen that other people have done it before, you're more likely to share it as well. Um, so I think that's a good aspect to it as well. Yeah, I've seen people have, um, you know, on their newsletter sign-up, you can um, customize it so that it says, you know, join the, you know, 3,000 other people who've already signed up for this newsletter, and that that's a really effective way to get more people to sign up for your newsletter because, you know, they feel like they're missing out or they want to be part of the club. Yeah, I have that too. I have – so I – uh, we're probably not going to, oh, I think we're probably going to talk about newsletters in the blog hop, but since you mentioned it, I'm just, I actually go the the oddball route of have, I prefer people to sign up to my blog posts in their email box instead of a newsletter, um, mm-hmm. but my sign up for people to get emails of my blog posts number is posted and it's like, I don't know, like 1500 or whatever. And the bigger the number gets, the bigger it keeps getting because people see, oh my gosh, there's already like more than a thousand people. That must be a good idea. Right. I think those numbers are really effective. Um, yeah, we are going to talk about newsletters. So, um, I think that's a, that's a big topic. (laughs) Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about just a few little tips for email, um, about sort of how to structure an email and some email do's and don'ts. So if you ever get an email from me, especially if it's the first time you've emailed me, um, you know, you just bought something or you have a question for me and you just wanted to email me to tell me something. Um, I almost always sign my email, keep in touch. Um, so I'll write the email back to you and then I'll sign it. Keep in touch, Abby. And, you know, I started doing it maybe like, I don't know, six months ago and people keep in touch. Um, I feel like if you tell them, keep in 
keep in touch, they feel like there's an open invitation to email you again. So, you know, they bought the pattern today, and a month from now they've finished, you know, sewing the stuffed animal, and then they'll email me again and say, hey, you know, I'm keeping in touch. <laughs> Let me show you a picture of what I made. And then, you know, we, that gives me another chance to talk with them again and to post their picture on my Facebook page, and maybe they'll buy another pattern or, you know, just comment on a blog post, and they kind of become part of the community. And I feel like it really leaves that door open of being approachable. Like, I'd love to hear from you again, you know? So that's one tip for me. So I'm sure if you email me now, you'll get my keep in touch. Um, I also think that I've been trying to not end my emails with let me know. So it's really easy, you know, you write a whole email to somebody, maybe a pitch email, hey, I'd like to guest post on your blog, or I have an idea, we could work together, you know, and then you write this whole great thing, and then at the end you say, okay, well, let me know, and then you say, you know, your name. Well, let me know is sort of this, I don't know, it's kind of passive-aggressive to me, or it just doesn't strike me as like an active um, way to end it, and what otherwise is a really sharp email. Um, So I've been trying to force myself to not say let me know Um, and then to instead say you know um, so let's choose a date would you rather February 21st or 22nd you know (laughs) and kind of end it with like an active thing or end it in a way that um, Tara actually emailed me (laughs) a while ago and I loved the way that she ended her email to me which was just hit reply and um, so do, you remember, do you remember that, Tara? <laughs> um, I do that in all my emails. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I, I also do that in my, you know, we're going to talk about email newsletters, but um, when I send out a, a mass email to a bunch of people, whether it's like a newsletter or something else, I often say that because I'm surprised by what well, you're telling the person the exact action that they can take next. And I think that that's helpful because often I read an email that has no clear ask. And I wonder, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, like what, what is the next step to, to, for whatever you're asking me? Totally. So I've been, um, I've been using just hit reply and I, you know, I, I do feel like it can be bossy if you use it too much or in the wrong context or with the wrong person. Um, but like I had somebody recently guest post on my blog and she wrote this really nice guest post and sent it to me, but there were still a few lingering questions about her, you know, what she was saying that I wanted to make sure we included in the guest post. So I said, you know, this is terrific. Thank you so much. And, um, could you just hit reply and tell me X, Y, and Z? And you know what? She totally did within like 20 minutes. She emailed me back and was like, Oh, sure. And she filled in those gaps and made the post a little bit better. So I'm big on the, my, my new and sort of just, instead of let me know, I, I now have just hit reply. <laughs> so those yeah, are my two. Sorry, go ahead. I think for um, the, the second thing you said was really good. So uh, just hit reply, you know, is forceful in a certain way. But I think the could you reply with blah, blah, blah is still a really polite, actionable thing to do. Right. If someone, you know, if it's maybe, you know, not quite, you know, at that level yet or whatever, the could you reply with blah, 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 or it really helped me out if you sent me blah, blah, you know, just, there's ways of toning it down that would work for all occasions. Right. Exactly. And are a little bit more active. Um, and I like, you know, as Tara said, like it's an ask and I, you need to have some sort of ask in there. So, um, okay. Those are my email tips. So okay, now um, Tara on your list was newsletters. So let's dig into <laughs> newsletters. So the thing I want to like first clarify is when I say newsletters, I don't actually mean um, newsletters in the sense of like, and here's a roundup of everything that happened this month, which is like kind of the, the Christmas newsletter <laughs> way of approaching it. And I know that um, 
when the ability to send email newsletters first started, that's what a lot of people did. But so what I'm talking about is actually um, an email list that's managed with email software. So you're not trying to keep a list of all of your customers or people who want to sign up to get uh, notified of things. Um, so you use email software to keep up with a list and they can add themselves automatically and they can remove themselves automatically. And then you send them what they want to be sent. And um, so, you know, the first step is to clarify in your, you know, ask in your sign up form what it is you're going to be sending them because then the people who sign up for that truly want to receive that information. And then you send them what they want to receive. So like Stacy mentioned, um, subscribing to her blog posts. And uh, in my sign-up form on my website, you can actually choose uh, one or the other or both. So I, I prefer also for people to get the blog posts in email versus um, an RSS reader. And so you can choose when you sign up, uh, do you want the daily blog posts or do you want the weekly lessons or some people choose both. Um, and and that way, so then what I send them each week is actually a weekly lesson on, you know, whatever it is that I am t- talking about <laughs> that week, whatever kind of lesson or subject we're covering about having a crafty business. And so what a lot of, um, a lot of my clients do who have Etsy shops is that they send, um, you know, sign up if you'd like a notification with uh, the newest things that I've added to my shop. And so they send that, you know, with pictures and really gorgeous descriptions and pictures in the email. Um, other people do a great job by sending, um, like, like you sign up for my list if you want to help influence what I make. And then they send questions like, you know, do you like this color, this color? Should I make a giraffe or a rhinoceros next? Um, so there's a bunch of different ways of using it that's not really like, here's what's happening in my business, but is more useful to the reader. And the more useful you make your emails, the more likely they are to be opened and clicked. And of course, the more uh, your reader is going to love you and hopefully turn into a customer. So the reason why I love them so much is because emails go directly to your inbox where a blog post sits there on your website and waits for somebody to remember to come look at it. An email goes to the place where I'm checking every day anyhow, which is my inbox. And um, and also it's a lot more personal. So like we were just talking about hitting reply. I always um, include that in most all of my emails that I send. Um, people do. They reply and then we're talking to each other. And I know we're all going to talk more about customer engagement in our, in our blog posts that are coming up. But that is... Um, that's just the best thing ever <laughs> to have somebody reply and talk to you and have a real conversation. It's great for sales because they remember that you're a real person and they feel more connected to you. But it's also just great as a solo entrepreneur working at home, kind of alone in your studio. It's really nice to be talking to the people who who like or are interested in your work. And what software do you use for your newsletter? I use MailChimp and it's free for up to, um, I think it's 20,000 sends. Um, so that doesn't mean 20,000 subscribers. That means 20,000 emails you send through it. For most of us, that's plenty. Of course, as you grow, then there are very affordable um, payment plans. Um, but there's also, so I love MailChimp and I tell everyone to use MailChimp. But there's also, you might have heard of AWeber, which is a little more uh, corporate in feel and look. You still have all the same options, but it just, it has a different kind of user experience. And, um, Constant contact is one that a lot of people use. What do you, what do you guys use? I know you send emails. Um, I use, well, uh, wait, before I answer, I'm just so happy you said that because what you said two things ago, because I, so I use WordPress to send daily emails of the blog posts. And I have had so many friends tell me 
you know, you can't do that. You need a newsletter with MailChimp. Like, it's not working. And I'm like, but I have, like, thousands of people signed up, and they're all really happy, and there's just this dogma. I Like, I can't tell you how many people I've had tell me, no, you've got to ditch that. It has to be an email newsletter with, like you know, MailChimp. And I'm like, but why? Mine is it's fine. <laughs> anyway, so I I have the WordPress one and then I have MailChimp, which is really just like you hear from me once a month. You know, here's <laughs> here's the what's happened, you know, the bare bones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I also use MailChimp, but I've heard that Mad Mimi is also a good option. So I just want to throw that out there. I don't know much about it, but I've, I just know people who who love it. And I get email newsletters from various um, craft businesses who use Mad Mimi as well. Um, one of the things that I like about um, MailChimp is um, the autoresponders. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit um, because autoresponders um, are something you can get once you've upgraded your um, to a paid account in MailChimp. And I've just done that recently and it's been really great. So, um, so we'll come, we'll loop back around and talk about this <laughs> in a little bit, but um Okay, so Stacey, you wanted to talk about um, the Etsy success videos. Yeah, so um, there's an Etsy success, I don't know if it's a workshop, and there's this, I'm unclear about the whole relation, but there's an Etsy success thing, um, which is Etsy's way of helping sellers, you know, be, be successful. Um, and in there, they have workshops that I think are held, maybe it's their labs, their workshops that are held live um, in Brooklyn, but they're videotaped and put online. Um, and this, especially when I was starting, was like gold falling from the computer screen. So um, they have really great topics. I've taken um, photography, you know, labs on there, but they also have one called the art of pricing for profit at where there was just like a really great one hour presentation about what you need to do to price your things so that they sell. And like, as Tara was saying earlier, most of us work at home and don't talk to people. And so it can be really easy to sort of get stuck in a lonely, you know, like you don't know where to go next because you're just not talking to different people. And so just watching these videos was really great for me because I was like, oh, look, it's a person who actually talks about pricing. That's new. Um, <laughs> and there's a formula. Okay, cool. Right. That's great. Um, and they've also, it's a good way to, if Etsy is an important part of your shop um, or your business, it they'll keep you up to date on um changes that Etsy is making. So there's been a workshop on tagging, like how to tag your items so that they come up in the new searches and things like that. Um, and Etsy is, um, a big part of where I sell my patterns. So, um, there's just like an Etsy success newsletter, ha ha ha, that you can sign up for and then you'll get alerted to all of the, you know, the new ones. And then you can search the archives for some of the videos that have been done, been done. And it's just a really great resource. You know, if you sit and once a week, you either read through or watch a video, um, you know, you'll be better off that way than you were before. So it doesn't have to be something where you sit and like do the whole thing in one day, you know, you can kind of dip in. Um, okay. So, uh, so that's a great resource. Um, I wanted to just add one more thing about, um, emails, which is, um, having an email signature. So one of the things I've realized is that you never know who is interested in what it is that you do, especially if you run a business that's essentially based on a luxury good, like you make artwork or you make clothing, 
um, or or if your business is based on a hobby. So, you know, Stacy and I design patterns to make stuffed animals. Well, it's definitely, you know, for most people, a hobby. Um, and so you just don't know who's interested in those things. Um, you know, it might be your, your child's teacher, um, the doctor, uh, random people who, you know, you might be sending emails to. You know, maybe most of them aren't interested, but a few of them are, and you wouldn't guess it. So um, I think it's a good practice to just have at the bottom of your email um, an automated signature that comes up that just has, you know, maybe your blog, your Etsy shop, maybe a little tagline first to say like what it is that you do. Um, You know, like I design sewing patterns for cute stuffed animals, come check them out. And then you have your blog, your Etsy shop, you know, maybe another online shop. um, If you're really active on Twitter or you're really active on Instagram, wherever you might be, where people can kind of get a sense of what you're making and what you're doing online. I have all I have been shocked when I email people and I don't even remember that the signature is there. You know, I just like sent off an email, um, and then I get emails back from the most random people. Right? Like my daughter is just getting evaluated for speech therapy, and her speech therapist um, is now like you know interested in buying some patterns. So <laughs> um, I think that it's just a good practice to have an email signature. Do you guys both have? I know Stacey that you have an email signature. Okay, so I have a story about the email signature. So I always have it at the bottom like Abby does, and I forget about it. And I bought – so I made a coffee table, and I bought these hairpin legs from Etsy, but I bought the wrong size. So I sold – you know, I was selling the old – the wrong ones on Craigslist. And so this guy comes over to, you know, buy them, and he was like, my wife saw what you did, you know, in your email signature, and she wants to buy one. And I thought, you know, this was the classic case of like, oh, you know, sorry, I don't really sell the animals, you know, they're just the patterns. And he's like, yeah, I know, you know, I want a squid pattern and a whatever. My wife crochets all the time. And just, <laughs> it was great. And so, yeah, stuff like that really happens. It does. And you never know where those customers are, are, are going to be locally or, you know, just whoever you might be interacting with. So if you don't have an email signature set up, they're usually something automated you can do in within your email program. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but you should have some, you know, hot link, hyperlinks so that you can, people can click straight from your email um, and it will open up the web page and they'll be able to take a look around and see what it is you do. So, And I think one thing that's interesting is someone you have a personal connection with ends up being such, I don't want to say a better customer, but they're they're so much more engaged with you and you with them because you've met them or you've interacted with them. So most, I like I have a ton of signups for my kit club from Pennsylvania um, and mostly the Philadelphia, not the Phil, the Pittsburgh area. And that's because I have done the Pittsburgh knit and crochet festival and I've met these people in person and we remember each other. And so it really, you know, you stick much more when you have this connection. Yeah. And I think that gets really at the heart of what we're talking about this week, which is sort of the personal connection that you make, whether it's, you know, through listening to somebody's podcast, meeting them in person, going to one of their workshops, taking an online workshop, but, um, or even just signing an email with keep in touch, but having that sort of personalized connection really makes people faithful and more interested, more loyal. Um, and it gives like a human side to your business. So, um, it can be pretty powerful. Um, Okay, so we're back up to you, Tara, and now we can talk about autoresponders. (laughs) So um, this is part of what I love about, you know, maintaining an email list and having a way to email them with newsletter software is that, so 
Well, let's back up. <laughs> when, when most people hear about autoresponders, they think about those out-of-office messages that you get when you email someone who's set up. Those are also called autoresponders to say, you know, I'm really swamped with email. I won't be getting to you for a few days or something like that. But what I'm talking about is um, a message that your uh, email software will send out automatically when your subscriber takes an action. And the, the easiest way to do this is set it up so that when they join your list, they um, get messages. But it also might be when they buy something, when they click a link, when they there's all these different actions that could prompt an autoresponder. But I like it for um, when someone first signs up for my list, they, of course, get the, you know, um, congratulations, you've subscribed, welcome, this is what you can expect. But then two days later, they get, uh, um, I do a how to explore mini course. So I think it's four lessons and it really introduces you to the kind of world um, of the kind of thing I talk about. Because I help creative businesses explore their own business it helps if we all start on the same page. So like, what do I mean by explore and what um, kind of um, does that look like and how much fun it can be? And um, it really introduces you to like a lot of the metaphors I use and my personality. And if by the end of the mini course, you're like, "Ugh, this girl drives me crazy, then you can just unsubscribe <laughs> and you're not going to keep getting a weekly email from me. But if on the other hand, you're like, this is hilarious and fantastic, then um, you're that much more likely to open up the later email that I send you that are the weekly lessons or telling you about a new class. And I found, um, I mean, all kinds of things have come out from my autoresponder. Um, I had uh, like a bigger company, a marketing guy at a bigger company who liked them so much and found them so like just kind of ridiculous <laughs> that, he, that he emailed me and asked me to help him set up one for his company. And I get a lot of emails from people saying like, this is great. I really appreciate it. I feel like I've gotten to know you over the past week or two that they get the messages. And it's just a kind of a getting everybody on the same page before they get my weekly lessons. And I've had um, clients who are makers use this to introduce their um, best blog posts about their products. So if, you know, you sell patterns and not finish items, then one of the first messages could be talking about that. Or if you have a, um, I know Stacey, you make amazing tutorials for your crochet pattern buyers to use, you know, and an autoresponder that introduced them to your top tutorials so that then they could feel comfortable buying a pattern and knowing that your uh, tutorials are going to help them actually complete it. That kind of thing really gets everybody on the same page because what you find with blog posts is that the people who read it when you post it, that's great, but you're going to have thousands more people come to your site and your newsletter list and your business, you know, two years later who, who don't know that that tutorial is there and is awesome. And so an autoresponder is a great way of introducing your best content to people as soon as they meet you, no matter when that is. Absolutely. And it gives that content new life. So, you know, writing a great blog post or creating a great tutorial takes a ton of time. Sometimes it can take a whole day to make something that's, you know, really outstanding. Um, and as you said, it just sits there and, uh, um, you know, a lot of people, for example, might visit your site and sign up for your list um, from Pinterest or from following a link somewhere. And they don't really right. know or take the time because we're all busy to go through your whole archives and find out <laughs> everything else that you've already created. And I mean, a few people will do that. I've had people who've read my entire blog um, from the <laughs> beginning, which is amazing. But I mean, most people don't do that. And so this is a way to say to them, you know, thank you for signing up. And here's like my highlights. Um, and that really, 
you know, brings them in. So I, I want to set up some more autoresponders because you've got some great ideas for other ways to use them. I love the two days out. Um, and I know that there's other ways to use them for like, you know, specifically for what people buy or what they're clicking on. And I haven't gotten that far, but I have set up the one that goes out an hour after you sign up for the list and gives you sort of, you know, here's some great free patterns that I have. Here's, you know, my top, um, blog posts about business, my top blog posts about blogging, um, you know, my ebook, et cetera, and so forth. And, and it, you know, I, I can't tell you how high that open rate is. It's much, you know, higher. And actually, let's go talk a little bit about open rates because I think that people get discouraged when, you know, you send out a newsletter and you're like, well, only, you know, 25% of the people opened it. Or, um, or unsubscribers, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, I sent it to 2000 people, but you know, nine of them unsubscribed. Why did they unsubscribe? Um, and so Tara, do you have any um, tips on sort of not taking that personally and what those numbers really mean? I do. (laughs) I do because so number one rule is don't look at your unsubscribes um, because they don't, they can't give you any information. You can't possibly know why a person unsubscribed if it was that message and you shouldn't send any more of those messages. If it was that day in that person's inbox that they were like, oh, I have to clean out my inbox. I regularly subscribe to, you know, I'll find a blog. (laughs) I'll do that thing where I read all of it. I'm like, oh, I love this person. I subscribe. And then I will go through periods of finding new, lots of new people subscribing to a bunch and then periods of, you know, purging everything because I just, I am too busy to read all those emails. So I just unsubscribe to all of them knowing that if I like the person and the content, I'm going to come back later. Um, and that has nothing to do with whatever message they just sent me. It's not like I was super offended. So I unsubscribed, but that's how it feels <laughs> when you look at an unsubscribe number. Um, you know, and I know that MailChimp and a lot of other, uh, newsletter softwares will let you uh, get email updates when people unsubscribe. And I heartily recommend that for your mental health, you do not get those updates <laughs> because, because like I said, they don't teach you anything. They don't, they don't tell you something about your business and it's much better to spend your time measuring things that tell you something about the health of your business, like your subscriber rate, how many new people subscribe in a month is super useful. And also, um, MailChimp will tell you the rate that you of subscribes you need to keep in order to keep your list steady. So, like, if you're getting you know, nine unsubscribes a month, then you need to get, like, nine or ten new subscribers to replace those unsubscribers. That's an important number because you have, you have more unsubscribes than new subscribers, and you need to change something. It's not necessarily um, that people hate you. <laughs> you just need to find, you know, more people to sign up and get better at letting people know why they should get on your list and then why you should, they should stay on your list. And I think that it's, um, you know, your time is better spent coming up with really helpful, useful, interesting content than by looking at what people don't like and what they unsubscribe from. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes for, um, open rates. Um, yes. because I think that, you know, it's important to realize that having, you know, a 35, 40% open rate is actually a good open rate. And, um, well, that's- what I was going to say is that a MailChimp will let you know your the industry standards, like uh, in your industry, which maybe is like e-commerce. And most, yeah, <laughs> most people are happy with a 10%. Like in the email marketing industry, 10% is considered a good open rate. So if you're getting higher than that, then you're doing fine. And if you want to improve that, then you can test out different subject lines and see what kind of subject lines get open. But that's the extent of like, you know, thinking and obsessing about open rates that I think most people should do. 
I think um, not obsessing about the negative and working on creating interesting and useful content is really good for everybody, for everybody's mental health <laughs> and everybody's business. So, um, um, Before we bump off this topic, sure. can I just say something back to the um, uh, autoresponder thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person, I, I really don't like paying for things monthly. Like I, I try to keep my business costs as low as possible until I absolutely can't function anymore. And so I have yet to upgrade to the MailChimp um, paid thing. Um, and I also, well, and since I'm keeping my subscribers on WordPress, I don't have the number that requires me to bump up. So mm-hmm. when someone makes an Etsy purchase from me, I have an email template and I just copy and paste their email address and send it out. So it's not automatic, I guess. It takes me like a couple minutes a day. I go through all my Etsy purchases and do it, but it has all of the same content um, that you guys were talking about. Like, hey, here's, you know, here's how to get started. Here's how you follow me on Twitter and whatnot. Um, and I think it's a really good option for people who aren't ready to take the plunge to a MailChimp monthly expense, because I know for sure when I was getting started, paying $20 a month was sort of like, you know, half of my business. <laughs> so <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, affordable, you know, means different things to different people. So an email template and almost every email system has a way of making a template that you can pop some photos into and stuff. Um, right. It's a really good way to create your own autoresponder. Well, and, um, to that, like, I also, I also do that. I send out, you know, friendly thank you emails to purchases. So even, you know, the autoresponder in MailChimp is really just to the people who have subscribed. So absolutely. Like (laughs) having it automated is no excuse to not still send out, you know, proper thank you emails to all the, the customers. And you're right. That's a great free option. And I do the same thing. And one of the, um, uh, further positive things I've realized about setting a thank you email for every Etsy customer is then they know who to contact if they have a problem. So when they get the pattern, if it's their, for a lot of people, it's their first Etsy purchase. They get the pattern and they don't know where it is. They don't understand how to open it. Maybe they don't have Adobe Reader installed, so they can't open a PDF. Um, You know, all kinds of little things. Or they have a question, you know, just they're sewing along and step five is confusing. Um, Instead of going onto Etsy or into PayPal and filing a complaint or leaving negative feedback, (laughs) they can say, oh yeah, she sent me an email. I'll just hit reply and ask her. Um, and so it takes it away from Etsy. It takes it to you. Um, and that gives you that sort of opportunity to interact with the customer one-on-one. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I can I also clarify something about sure. autoresponders? Because I realized I didn't say this earlier. I kind of hinted at it. Um, and what I'm really... Um, kind of what I'm obsessed with, (laughs) with autoresponders is not just the one message, but an actual course of Mm. multiple messages. Um, and I, and you guys are both so great at creating educational content. Like I would love to get an autoresponder from you that walked me from one tutorial to the next, to the next, so that I could increase my skills. Like if I sign up, because you already have created all those tutorials, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. And autoresponders allow you to, um, time the release of it. So I get one, after two days and then one after three days and one after four days. And then I'm kind of, you know, and and maybe every day is a little much for some people, depending on a bunch of other things in your business, but, um, or even maybe once a week. And, uh, when I, when I used to sell a how to knit kit, I did this, like you could sign up and automatically, 
you could sign up to be notified when the How to Knit kit was going to be available, but then I would walk you through the steps of the things you needed to know before you learned how to knit, like what do different needle sizes mean and what kind of material do you want for the needles. And so you'd get a lesson each week, kind of all the pre-stuff, and then the How to Knit kit would actually teach you how to knit and include the yarn and the needles so you didn't have to worry about buying it yourself. So there's a bunch of different uses for spacing out your content and delivering them to people to educate them up to where they need to be to buy your product. That is so great. I am totally going to set that as a long-term goal for this year. (laughs) I just think it's such an amazing tool. And if I'm already paying MailChimp now $30 a month, I might as well dig in deep and really make a good, you know, make use, make good use of it. So um, all right, so Stacey, let's hop over to you and talk about um, managing your your social profiles. Um, you mentioned TweetDeck and Buffer. Yeah, so I know we've already talked about Buffer, um, and so there's two problems in the world. So one, no, in the whole world, <laughs> oh, like two, no, in the world of tweeting. So. Um, uh, one problem, and I know Abby also has this problem. I don't know much about Tara's life, but my bet is she has a similar problem. You wake up in the morning, and you have all these things to do when you're running a business. So I spend an hour checking email. I actually do have to make some things. I have to, like, order supplies. Like, I do a bunch of stuff, and there's a time in my day when I do my blog reading and my, like, oh, I found interesting things. But if you tweet all of them or Facebook post all of them at once, people get really annoyed to read like 60 blog post links from you in Twitter all at like 7.45 a.m. And then the second problem that comes along with that is when you're actually working, you're not tweeting. And so then you're like quiet as a mouse for like 12 hours. Um, So scheduling tweets and other social media profiles, um, both TweetDeck and Buffer do this in different ways. Um, so TweetDeck allows you to pick a time and Buffer allows you to, um, just say you want to tweet them and Buffer picks the time that works best. Um, and so when you find all these great articles that you want to share, you can just put them in a Buffer or a TweetDeck and then share them at times that are more appropriate for when people actually want to look at them. Um, which is really great. Um, as far as I can tell, and someone can correct me with I'm, if I'm wrong, um, there so there are different um, frequencies that people will tolerate. Um, Twitter people are more than happy for five posts an hour to happen. Facebook more than one to two a day is excessive. Um, Pinterest I think has no limit. Like very few people have ever told me I've pinned too much and I pin like a hundred things a day. So I don't buffer anything for Pinterest because, man, you can just pin, like, till you're about to pass out, and people seem <laughs> to tolerate that, which is really mind-boggling. <laughs> but um, buffering the rest of the stuff is really helpful. Um, and the, the downside that I've heard people, reply, you know, the devil's advocate is, is it artificial or phony? And I just want to say I never tweet, I never schedule things that are like, hey, heading out to have dinner it's gonna be great or whatever like four days in advance because i mean those things i really do in real time i don't i'm not faking when i say i'm having lunch um i just do um blog posts or things that are information so that people don't get informationally um bogged down because like you never know you know not to be a debbie downer but you never know what can happen um 
And it's really awkward if, like, you break your leg and you're in the hospital and someone's like, but wait, you just were out at lunch, you know, an hour ago. <laughs> right. And, and also, if there's, if there's, like, some sort of, I don't know, national disaster, you know, sure, happens, right. and then, it, it, you know, it's very clear which companies have um, pre-sort of loaded up their, their tweets and are, like, promoting their products in the face of some sort of awful thing that's been happening on the news, so... Yeah, that is a whole nother, I feel like that's a whole nother um, issue we could spend like an hour on because I've noticed that, so for one, so everyone agrees for Hurricane Sandy, any business in New York to be tweeting to sell their product is like really bad form. Um, but then there, I've noticed sometimes there are these disasters, um, you know, maybe they're far away, like the Philippines you know, tsunami or earthquake and there's different level, you know, people react in different ways. So some people are sort of like, eh, it's far away. I send out one tweet saying, you know, I'm sorry. And then who business as usual, you know, or as other people are like meditating on that for the rest of the day. So it's, I always find those very interesting, um, watching on Twitter, how people react. Yeah, I know. And I, I actually feel, um, not just with watching people, but for myself, this always, you you wonder, you're like, is it inappropriate to, you know, I just spent however long on this blog post. Should I not be talking about it? I mean, obviously when something like, um, that's kind of like an ongoing drama, like the, the, um, Boston marathon and then the manhunt for that. Like I, I literally couldn't think about anything businessy, but like you said, like things like, um, sad tragedies around the world. What I, I am still kind of, I tend to go offline anyhow because the, the big wallop of sadness and negativity and, um, news like chasing down every second of it isn't good for me mentally. Sure. (laughs) So, so I tend to just go offline, you know, interacting with an audience on a regular basis. Do you have some kind of responsibility to that audience? in moments like this. Yeah. And I think also the thing that's really hard about these social media thingies, like especially Twitter is there's almost no record from the reader's perspective. Like you can, so let's say a tragedy happens. I could do a couple tweets about, you know, how it's affected me. And if I'm tweeting as usual, two hours later, a person, I don't, I certainly don't go back to read the last tweet that I left off from yesterday, right? So there's no record. And so I think we all have to be very sensitive to that. Um, You know, like someone, especially since I spend time in Australia, they're in a different time zone. Like someone could be waking up just hearing about this and you're on some other topic and that can be really awkward. Yeah. Right. Um, I think all of this, though, kind of hits at a bigger issue, which is thinking of yourself as a public persona. Um, and that right. actually sort of hits on what I wanted to talk about next. I think it's my turn. Um, yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> which is um, which is about being um, polite and responsive, even when other people aren't. The people who are, you know, emailing you, for example, aren't being polite <laughs> to you. <laughs> Um, and, and really this is, uh, really gets that sort of removing yourself from the personal, um, you know, when you run a business, um, there are people who have ideas 
for you. Um, and some of those ideas aren't really appropriate for you. Um, sometimes they express them very strongly. Um, you know, sometimes they're very angry, um, or they really disagree with what you're saying, or, um, or they're just sort of being lazy and don't want to look. Uh, and so they're just like asking again and again and again for something that's really obvious. Um, you know, so anyway, you kind of can at times feel bombarded with, demanding emails like, well, where is my free pattern? I don't see it, you know, or like again, and you know, you're like, Oh God, again, you know, but, um, (laughs) it's hard. So it's hard sometimes to sort of say to yourself, they don't see it from my side, you know? Um, and I need to just always be responsive and polite. I mean, there's limits. Um, there can be people who kind of suck up way too much of your time and you can set limits on those people. But, um, so I feel like one of those, the ways to be responsive and polite is to reply to your emails. If you get an email, you need to reply to that email. Um, if you can do it the same day or the next day, I think that that's appropriate. If you can't reply to the emails that you're getting, then and you need to make a change, in my opinion. I feel like either you need to hire some help or you need to reorganize your day. If you cannot respond to the emails that you're getting from people in a, in a sort of um, timely way, then, um, and you don't have to write a lengthy something, but just to say, thank you so much. I got your email. You know, I'm so glad you like my blog and keep in touch. You know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that much longer than that, but you need to at least say something. Um, And the same thing goes with blog comments. When people ask you questions or comment on your blog, you might not respond that same day, but the next day to get back to that person and say, you know, thank you so much. Here's what you're looking for. Here's the link you're looking for. Or that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing it. Um, So, and then when people are angry, um, you know, to be polite and to respond to them. Thank you for your feedback. I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. I'll take it into consideration. Um, So, Being polite and being responsive, I think, are just two really important things to keep in mind and to not take things personally. You have to have a very thick skin. I think in all kinds of business. I mean, I used to teach in the inner city and let me tell you, I had had to develop a really thick skin then. So, and I'm glad I did. Like, I'm really glad I had that experience because I have a thick skin and, um, and it does serve me well. So. I agree a hundred percent. Um, being a person who gets lots of angry emails and I think one thing you don't expect, which I think is is absolutely true. There is no amount of nice that you can be to prevent a mean email from coming. Like you can honestly be the nicest person in the world. And there's going to be someone else who had a bad day and sends you a really nasty email. And so you can't prevent it. If you have a business that has more than X amount of people coming at you, it's going to happen. Um, And then the other thing is that don't underestimate how being nice diffuses a situation. So the other day I got completely cranky email. I don't even remember what it was about, you know, something like, who knows, whatever. It was really cranky. And I just replied completely nicely, returning the information they were looking for, apologizing for whatever confusion they may or may not have been. And the reply I got was completely nice. And she even said something like, thank you for handling this thing that seemed like a disaster to me or what, you know, whatever it was. And so I think it's just so, so, so important. And if you need to take an hour to breathe somewhere else before replying, that's fine. 
but it's not okay, in my opinion, to reply. It's not your job to teach people, like, moral lessons about how they should be sending (laughs) emails or any of these things. Like, that's not your business. You're providing customer service. And the worst thing you can do besides sort of picking a fight um, or (laughs) by providing a moral lesson is um, is to not reply. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you just got to do it. Um, And sometimes it's a back and forth exchange and sometimes there's not. But more often than not, I would agree with you, Stacey, the person will then say, oh, wow, thank you so much. And then share a story about, you know, a family member that they're making this for. And, you know, and it turns it totally around and something that seemed like a nightmare is actually great. So, And I do have one other tip that someone um, taught me. If you have a customer who is seems very frustrated in the moment, like um, this happens a lot more, I think, with sewing and crocheting than perhaps um, people looking for marketing advice, although I don't know. Um, if it's very obviously something like they've missed a stitch and they're having a massive freak out, it's okay to wait a couple hours because a lot of times people sort those issues out on their own. Like, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gone to bed because I do sleep and I wake up the next morning and I have massive, massive freak out email, freak out email. And then one hour later, okay, never mind. I Googled and I found the tutorial and I fixed it. Uh And so it's not, I don't consider it an important part of my business to reply within the hour because I don't think that's providing any better service. And it does end up saving me a lot of time for issues that people sort of deal with within the half hour on their own. Getting One of my goals is to get people to ask me in the way that will get them the best help. And I haven't figured out how to mm-hmm. do this yet. But, for oh. example, like tweeting me, um, asking where your package is, is actually really a poor way for me to help you. Because I read tweets on my iPad. Well, I don't have an iPad. On my tablet. And shipping information is on my computer. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I've been trying to yeah. train my customer to email me. If it's something that needs like a really substantive response, can I make a suggestion there? Yeah, because <laughs> this is one of my favorite <laughs> topics: is is training people how to yeah. how to treat you. And um, so you could put on your contact page the best way, and maybe you have this already, and people just don't look there. Um, yeah. But the best way to ask you about: Do you have this question? And then you can also include include um, frequently asked questions like, where's my package? Well, you can go here and here to see where your package is because I don't know. I mean, for me, when I ship things, PayPal will send them an email that says it's been shipped and then it has the tracking number and so they can track it themselves. Um, And so I'm a big fan of like putting that information kind of, um, and if people aren't going to your contact page, you could put something in your sidebar or across the top of your page, like have a question and then your contact page could you know, answer all their questions before it actually lets them send you a note. And you could even, you know, then say that on Twitter, like, um, you know, actually the best way is to, you go here yeah. <laughs> and you'll find your answer. And, um, so that's, that's one way that the other thing I was going to say about this whole, like responding with, with calmness and kindness is, um, I have a kind of a motto that me and my assistant use, uh, when she first started, I was like, this above all else is the message of my business. And that is assume the best. Always, always, if, if I've written something that seems snippy, if, if I read something that seems snippy from, from her or anyone else who's emailing me, assume the best, assume that there actually wasn't 
um, unless they say, I am so angry, assume that they're not sending it in anger. <laughs> and instead, frustration or just uh, confusion, you know, because oftentimes when we are like, what? What's happening? I'm so confused. We come across an email as angry when it's really just confusion. Um, so the assume the best. I mean, I also try to do this in my marriage. It's a little harder there. <laughs> but in general, like communicating online, I always, um, and if I, if I get upset about something somebody's written, I like go back and breathe deeply and think like, assume the best of this person, assume that they are simply in a hard place. And so this is why I got this as opposed to assuming that everyone, which this is what I experienced a lot. My, I have many clients who have been like, ah, people are stupid and people are awful and they just don't get it. And so they send me these messages and it makes me crazy. I'm like, well, that's one way you could look at it, but then you're always going to see that. And another way is to just assume that the people are frustrated and need help and that this is your role to help them here, as opposed to assuming that they're like stupid and dull and angry and an awful person. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because... Um, tone can be really hard to read in an email. Like, like you said, all these things, frustration, confusion, a kid with the flu who just puked on you, like all these things come out <laughs> sounding like, I hate you as a business owner. And they're just not saying that. Or even right. if they're typing on their phone, you know, when you're typing on your phone, sometimes people just don't put in a subject line and there, there's no, um, you know, dear whoever, it's just like a one <laughs> sentence misspelled, you know, and, <laughs> right. But you just have to think, okay, well maybe they're, you know, in transit somewhere or, and I love that idea of assume the best. And I think actually when well, maybe we'll end on that. Thank you. All right. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs> bye. bye. You've been listening to Walshing Apps. Uh, the podcast airs on the first and third Monday of each month. My guests today were Tara Swiger and Stacey Trock. Catch up with Tara on her site, taraswiger.com, and with Stacey at freshstitches.com. And if you have something to say about the show or want some direct links to what we talked about today, you can find it all on my blog, walshingapps.com. Thank you.